Okay, so we are in our series in 1 Peter, and we're going to go at breakneck speed today. Our scripture reading is going to be verses 3 through 5. So three verses today, Um, and I think we've spent three weeks to go the first two verses, and so, I mean, uh, hold on to your seats as we're going to go through verses 3 through 5 today. So I invite you to uh, follow along as I read and to remind ourselves this is uh, we are reading uh, God's very word as written by the apostle of Jesus Christ, Peter, Simon Peter. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed In the last time, this is the reading of God's word. And we say, thanks be to God. God, having heard your word, I pray that now in the next few moments, as we meditate on what your word has said, as we continue our study in this uh, amazing letter of first Peter, that you would open our eyes. That we we know that we even if we're redeemed creatures Uh, Made new in Christ, we still have our old sinful nature uh, that we need to battle against. And so, God, we pray that you give us clarity of thought and focused attention in our next uh, few moments as we unpack your word. And so we ask that you would do that uh, by your spirit um, and that you would do so to glorify Christ in us and in his name we pray amen and amen these um verses that we just read in first peter chapter one verses three through five are and i would say the i would say the most densely packed verses that i have ever studied there might be some other um there might be some scholars who would maybe contend maybe they pulled some other verses from somewhere else. But in terms of a passage that I personally have dug in and studied, in my opinion, these are the most densely packed with so much rich material here. And so I'm asking you in the next few moments to, to strap in. Uh, I realize that we have limited time and I will try not to rush through this passage but I'm, uh, I'm asking uh, for your solid attention as we're looking at some of these things. Um, there is much in these verses to bless us, but it requires some diligence and deep digging on our part. This is the beginning of a passage that's dealing with the topic of the perseverance of the saints. And it's going to be in two parts. Today's part and next Sunday's part, Lord willing, we'll look at verses 6 through 9. And all of this is dealing with the larger topic of of God's perseverance. Peter began with his greeting in verses 1 through 2. And now he moves to this benediction 
here at verses 3 through 5. He begins, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It may be even better to call it a eulogy because that's the uh, first Greek word here for blessed. Uh, it's a good word. And this exact phrase is used three times in the New Testament. The second Corinthians chapter one, verse three and Ephesians one, verse three. It's the same one, three. Uh, actually, it's weird. All of them are in chapter one, verse three. Second Corinthians and Ephesians one. Now, I just wanted to read those really quick as we um, before we continue. Paul wrote both of the other the exact wording here. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, he says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we have received. Uh, we, we ourselves are comforted by God. So here, there in that passage, he's dealing, he's playing. He's blessing the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says he does so because of the God who comforts us in our miseries and our sufferings. It's a similar background to what Peter is dealing with, with this, uh, this uh, exiles, elect exiles, sojourners and strangers in the world who are experiencing a great deal of uh, suffering and, um, and difficulty. And he wants to remind them, hey, this is the time to bless and praise our God in the midst of difficulty. In Ephesians, it says this, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Again, similar themes to what Peter has just dealt with um, in the previous verses. So you here you have this this reminder of our theme and our setting here is that we're strangers and sojourners. We're exiles in the world that we're experiencing trouble and hardship and hatred for his name. And the result could be discouragement. The result could be discouragement, maybe even abandonment. Throwing in the towel or giving it all up. But here, Peter wants to, to encourage them to persevere in the faith. And that's the, the topic for this passage. In this benediction, Peter gives the basis for the Christian's perseverance in the face of trials. From a world that hates them. And he does it in three steps. And here are the steps. It's the steps that it's basically spans all of our spiritual life. And I'll give them to you right now from our rebirth to our inheritance in heaven and our perseverance, which covers the life in between. He does that in three consecutive verses. Verse three, he does our rebirth. Verse four, he does our inheritance. And verse five, he talks about our perseverance. He does the he deals with the beginning of our spiritual life, the culmination of our spiritual life and everything in between. And so let's begin with the first one. Uh, and that is verse three, our rebirth, our rebirth. And I'm going to give you a couple of also known as here. And I left them blank there because I didn't know how long to make these blanks because there's a lots of constellation of terms here. And this is a very, very important concept to understand in the Bible. Our rebirth, it's also known as regeneration or new birth 
or born again. You've heard the phrase born again Christian or born from above, born again and born from above uh, in the Greek. Are, uh, it's pretty ambiguous and it could take on both meanings. Okay, so notice this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. He has caused us to be born again or reborn. That, there's one Greek word that compasses, I believe it's seven words in the ESV. He has caused to be born again. They had to use seven words to describe this. Other translations have, he has given us new birth, and, uh, and that's good, uh, but that seems like the verbal part there is the gifting part, which is, which is part of it, but it's, he has made us alive. He has brought us into existence. He has caused us to be born again. This is the doctrine of regeneration, regeneration. We see this elsewhere. You may, be, you may remember at the beginning of John's gospel, John chapter 1, when he talks about how the word, Jesus, became flesh, the word came to his own and his own didn't even recognize it. His own rejected it. But he immediately follows that in verses 12 and 13 of John chapter 1 with, but to all who did receive him, he who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, okay, not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, born of God. Jesus elaborates this a couple chapters later in John chapter 3 when Jesus goes to visit Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, as this as he approaches Jesus at the beginning of this conversation, he says, I, we know you're a teacher. We know you've been sent from God because no one could do the things that you do unless God sent him. And Jesus answers kind of curiously a little bit. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again or born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus has a little problems with this he's like wait i don't really understand how can a man be born when he's old he understands what jesus the term that jesus is using he's talking about this the initial moment of life being brought into life and he's saying he goes wait wait how can that happen when somebody's is old you mean what do we have to go through this whole process again and jesus goes truly truly i say to you unless one is born of water and spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Okay, this is, this is the same concept, the same doctrine here, the doctrine of regeneration. This is taking something that didn't have existence or life and creating it. That's what God is doing. This is what happens when our, uh, at the beginning of our conversion, of our faith in Christ, is this regeneration by the Spirit of God to, to make us alive. I think of the Ezekiel chapter 37. When Ezekiel gets the vision of the dry bones, the entire valley of the dry bones, and um, the Spirit asks him, can, can these bones live? And you know, Ezekiel's like, well, you know the answer to that. 
And when the Lord breathes his spirit over the dry bones, they kind of rattle together and then they get sinews and flesh and they become a, a, a new being. This is to show the sign. This is what God does. Why is being born again necessary? Well, Ephesians 1. Paul says that we are dead in our trespasses in sin. Ephesians Excuse me, Ephesians 2, verse 1. He says, and you, reminding the Ephesians, you are dead in your trespasses and sin. Okay? Dead people don't respond, don't have the power to respond to anything. They need to, they need to be made alive. And he goes on to say that in that passage, Ephesians 2. But God being rich in mercy, echoing what Peter says here, because of the great love with which he loved us, loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. Notice that God is the one who causes this work here. There is no cooperation of God and man in the work of regeneration. Now that's not, I mean, now I'm being very specific here. I'm not talking about conversion. I'm talking about, I'm not talking about faith. I'm not talking about repentance. I'm talking about that initial regeneration. There's a reason that God uses this birth metaphor here. Because I don't know about you. How many of you can remember back to when you were born? None of you? Okay. So if you can't even remember, maybe you can take a guess. How many of you were pretty active in your birth? No? Nobody? Right? Okay. Um, that's because you, you are, you, you don't even remember this event that happened. It's a seminal event in your life. This is something that happens to you. How many of you decided that you were going to make your parents pregnant, right? That, that was not your choice. That was their choice. Okay. This is what John speaks of the people who are born, not of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but born of God. This is something that, that God himself causes and does. So we are helpless. I like what Ian Murray had to say about this. We are helpless to cooperate in our regeneration as we are to cooperate in the work of Calvary. We are as helpless to cooperate in our regeneration as we are to cooperate in the work of Calvary. One of my professors said it this way. Regeneration is the initial breathing of life by the spirit into the soul, which then serves as the basis and springhead of all the other parts of uh, elements of our salvation, such as faith, repentance, justification, adoption, sanctification and perseverance. And Maurice Roberts says this, the act of God in our regeneration is so momentous that no single category of thought is sufficient to describe the changes it brings in and for us. This is why God, our father of our Lord Jesus Christ is to be so blessed because he has caused us to be born again. That's where Peter wants to start. And this regeneration is an, is, um, is an act of his mercy. His great mercy, I should say. God does not say, boy, it's just an, a shame and an injustice that this person is spiritually dead. 
I should cause him to re be reborn. I should give him the gift of new life because it's just a shame that he isn't. He shouldn't be. No, our spiritual death is not only inherited from Adam, it's also merited by us. And so this underscores all the more how undeserving of being reborn we are. The only qualification of this re regeneration, he says, it's just on God's mercy, Peter says. And notice what Peter says we are to be born again or regenerated or born again for. Verse 3, to a living hope. To a living hope. It's hope and it's a living hope. That means it's present in today. It's talking about it informs all that we do in the present. It's not just a hope. It's a living hope. And we're going to look a little bit more detail of what this living hope is in verse 4. Peter shifts gears and elaborates that on it there. But we must ask the question, the basic question, what is, what is hope? Biblically speaking, what is hope? Here's an answer. It's the conviction that something will happen in the future. Now, it's not wishing that something will happen in the future. Sometimes when we use the word hope, that's how we mean it. Biblically speaking, hope is the conviction that something will happen in the future. Okay? Uh, hope has to have a basis. It has to have a grounding in, a, in order to have hope. If it doesn't, it's merely a wish. So what is this hope and what is this basis? Let me give you an illustration. Tomorrow, I hope the sun will come up. And I want to be really clear here. I know we live in Michigan and it's the winter. So I wanted to, I, this could be a very confusing example. Um, what I mean is, I don't, I don't mean that I hope the sun will shine. I have very little hope of that. Um, what I mean is that the sun will rise, actually show up in the east, whether it's, you know, impeded by all of the overcast Michigan skies. Okay. I'm talking about not the whether the sun will shine. I'm talking about whether the sun will rise. I have confidence that the sun will rise. Why? Do I know the future? Or is it because... Is it because that we have a, a strong certainty and assurance that this will happen? We have a basis that it's done this every day of my life. And it's done it every day in my mom's life, in my dad's life, in my grandparents' life, and all the way back to our ancient of ancestors. I have conference the sun will rise, not shine, but rise because... Uh, I can infer from this fact it's happened every single day. Okay, that's the that's what's meant by hope. We have we have a basis and a confidence that this future event will happen. What's the basis that Peter gives for this hope? It's not grounded in like scientific observation. Well, it's done this every day before. He gives a very specific thing to tie this living hope to. What is it? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter explicitly connects our uh, Jesus' resurrection with our regeneration. He puts the two together. The hope that we have, this living hope, 
that Peter's going to elaborate on a little bit, is explicitly tied to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus' resurrection isn't just about his own vindication and being raised by the power of God. Jesus' resurrection is also for us. He gets first what we will receive by faith in him. Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. It's amazing. All of us uh, will be raised physically one day, and all of us are raised, spiritually speaking, to walk in newness of life today. This is what Jesus' resurrection promises us. Jesus' resurrection is basically a security deposit on the hope that we will have that in the, in the future that empowers and encourages and enlivens us today. Again, back to Ephesians 2, verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trans trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him. Okay? See, this, this going from death to life is connected to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we get together here on Sunday mornings, we do it not just merely because God commands it, he does. Uh, we don't do it to just get a spiritual kick, although we do get fed God's word and he nourishes us by these truths. We get together on this particular day because this is Resurrection Sunday. Now we have Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday that we celebrate, but every Sunday is a Resurrection Sunday. Every time we gather, we need to be reminded that this why we are here and do what we do is because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And you will be too, through faith in him. Let me read to you this, uh, a little snippet from, um, from uh, Edmund Clowney. And bear with me, it's, it's a paragraph here. But it was so good, I, just, I couldn't just summarize it. I needed to share the whole thing. The resurrection of Jesus was a life-changing reality for Peter. Okay, stop and think about this. When Jesus died on the cross, it was the end of all of Peter's hopes. He knew only bitter sorrow for his own denials. The dawn could not bring hope. With the crowing of the cock, he heard the echo of his curses. But Jesus did not stay dead. On that Easter morning, Peter learned from the women of the empty tomb and the message of the angels. He went running to the tomb and saw its evidence. He left in wonder. But Jesus remembered Peter and appeared to him even before he came to eat with his disciples in the upper room. Hope was reborn in Peter's heart with the sight of his living Lord. Hope was reborn in Peter's heart with the sight of his living Lord. Now Peter writes to praise God for that living hope. 
The resurrection did much more than restore his master to him. The resurrection crowned the victory of Christ, his victory for Peter and for those to whom he writes. The resurrection shows that God made the crucified Jesus both Lord and Christ, as Peter would go on to preach. At the right hand of the Father, Jesus rules until the day when he will come to restore and renew all things. With the resurrection of Jesus and his entrance into glory, a new age has begun. Peter now waits for the day when Jesus will be revealed from heaven. Peter's living hope is Jesus. That's amazing. And this is what Peter is blessing and praising God for and reminding his, hear his hearers of in the midst of their sorrow and difficulty and hardship. He says, you know what? Stop and bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because he has caused you to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus. That is our rebirth. But what are we born again for? Well, in verse 3, we saw it's a living hope. But what is this living hope? I said he was going to elaborate on it in verse 4. And here he goes. Our living hope is also, a.k.a. our inheritance. Or our inheritance, a.k.a. is our living hope. And this is verse 4. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the dead. To, okay, this is what this, the purpose and goal for which it goes, uh, works toward. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now, inheritance, uh, biblically speaking, it typically is a term that's used for the promised land that was given to Israel and Israel's place in it. But in the New Testament, it, it completely flips this around. And the New Testament writers are realizing actually all of these promises is not merely limited to this land. It's actually in heaven and eventually at the end of the ages will come back to earth. We've talked about this before. I don't remember. Maybe it was Charlie or somebody. We were talking about this last week. We talk about how this earth is not our home, but it will be when Christ comes back and to establish his kingdom permanently here on earth. So this inheritance, Peter says, this is the this is the believer's heavenly share and our, and our heavenly future reward. The Holy Spirit who dwells in a believer's life is basically the down payment and the security deposit for that inheritance. Okay, back to Ephesians 1. He says uh, to the Ephesians, when you heard the word, when you heard this gospel, when you believed in Christ, he says, and... You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, right? So there's this inheritance that is ours, that it's our possession, and that the Holy Spirit is now the kind of the down payment, the security deposit on that. Peter describes four description for this inheritance. The first three in the Greek, all uh, are in alliteration and also rhyme. It's afarthan, amianthan, amarnanthan, if you wanted to know. But at least you get this idea, like Peter's preaching. 
He's rhyming. He's alliterating and he's rhyming. He's doing it. He's doing it all. So let me go through those. The inheritance is imperishable. A couple of other places that where that is used. It's when when we read the, the uh, to the king immortal. That's that word. It's immortal. Cannot die. Cannot perish. Cannot go away. Paul, when he talks about the athlete complete, competes, he beats his body and he goes into competition and he does it for a wreath that will perish. He goes, but we do it with an imperishable one. Because those wreaths were made out of, you know, like uh, plants. <laughs> what? All of, all of something or other. I need my wife here, the horticulturalist, to tell me what it was. It's also used of our resurrected bodies. The dead will be raised imperishable. Okay, So this inheritance is imperishable. It's not going to fade. It's not going to go away. It's also undefiled. It's also unfading, not losing its pristine quality. It's the opposite of what a flower does, right? A beautiful flower in the spring, and then eventually the leaves wither, droops, falls. It says this is impervious to that sort of thing that's what our inheritance is and this last one kept in heaven for you oh it's kept there okay that's good no 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 kept that word seems a little bit too weak it's actually the the verb for to guard or to retain in custody (laughs) cuffs behind bars okay think fort knox on steroids that's what our inheritance is this is the same word used of the, Ro- the, the Roman centurion who's guarding Jesus right before his crucifixion. It's the same word used of Peter when he was arrested in chains and in jail. Same word. It's used of, the, of what the Philippian jailer was doing to Paul and Silas when they were arrested and imprisoned in, in Philippi. It's the same word. And he's saying this inheritance is under lock and key, securely guarded in heaven for you. Guarded by God himself in the heavens. That amazing? That's where your treasure is. That's where your inheritance is. That's where all of your possessions lie. Jesus taught this. Matthew 6. Peter remembers these words. He knows this. When Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, your inheritance. Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is our, this is our hope. Our living hope is that we have an inheritance. A living, a living hope and an inheritance that awaits us in our return to him. So Peter begins, bless Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because of our rebirth, the beginning of our spiritual life, and the end, the culmination of our spiritual life for our inheritance. And now he wants to talk about everything that happens in between. And that is our perseverance in verse 5. How are we to view our present life? By keeping in mind how your Christian life began in our past, 
regeneration by God, raised from the dead, how our Christian life will be completed in our future, eternity in the presence of God in heaven with all of our possessions laid up there. Remember how it started. Remember how uh, and who started it. Remember how it ends and who will bring it to completion. Now he says, remember who is empowering everything in between. Verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Man. Being guarded. You. Now, not in, in verse 4, what was being guarded and held in possession. It's a different Greek words here. Uh, but in verse 4, it was the possessions that you have. Not only does he hold your possessions under lock and key, waiting for you to get there in the hopes that you one day will. He says, no, I'm not only guarding what you will possess. I'm guarding you who by God's power are being guarded through faith. The God's power is in the Greek is placed in the front for emphasis. This is God's doing. This is God's business. To sustain you and to sustain your faith. That's what Peter wants to remind these strangers and aliens, these sojourners and exiles. He goes, God is sustaining you and sustaining your faith. God is at work doing this. And this is God's power. And then it caused me to think, how powerful is God's power? I thought it would be, you know, at the end of this last week, I was like, you know, it would be an interesting study. Let me look at all the verses that speak of God's power. <laughs> well, there are hundreds and hundreds of them. I'm like, okay, let me focus that study on just where God talks about his power. <laughs> that was overwhelming. Let me just give you a couple. I love it. Uh, uh, Exodus 15, the song uh, by the sea. As the people of Israel have just been crossed the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army is, has been destroyed. Exodus 15, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. You stretched out your right hand, it says. Numbers, he says, uh, the Lord says to Moses, because they're, they're talking about something, and the Lord says to Moses, is the Lord's hand shortened? And I keep thinking of, T-Rex in Toy Story, you know, trying to play the video games, you know, like is it, it's a great Hebrew description. Like is the Lord's hands too short. I can't, you know, press jump and fire at the same time. The Lord says like the Lord's like, is my hand too short? I can do anything. I can do anything. That's how powerful the Lord's hand is. And then I like this Jeremiah 32. Be, this is the Lord speaking. Behold, I am the Lord. Now, when the Lord says, behold, you better behold, right? Behold, I am the Lord. The God of all flesh is anything too hard for me. How powerful is God's power? The answer to that is the same answer to how powerful he is to keep you. How powerful is God's power? The answer is the same to how powerful he is to keep you. And how long does God's sustaining power last? It's not temporary. This is not short term. This is not a this is not a short term project, a short term objective. This is a power that guards, Peter says, 
through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. This is a power that sustains to the end. This revealed in the last time is uh, uh, it's actually a unique one in the entire New Testament. But it's basically at the end of the ages when Christ returns. To the end is what it means. It's impossible to see any end to, gar- to God's guarding activity. And the purpose of God's guarding power is the preservation of believers until they receive their full reward. Their heavenly salvation. Our rebirth, our inheritance, and our perseverance. And our perseverance is done by God's power. Isn't it an amazingly assuring thing? I know I got a couple of questions a couple of weeks ago when we talked about uh, election in the first one. And one of the, the things uh, that one of the questions that I received came from Josh. Josh, can you come up here? Yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah, I, did, I asked you permission, but I didn't tell you we were going to come up. So come up. Do you have gloves? Oh yeah, get your gloves. Okay. Let me let me illustrate. I don't normally do this, but let me illustrate something. So Josh came up and he goes, "I have a question about the, the whole election thing." And I was like, I, "I'm with you. I, I had those questions too, and I'm sure everybody else here does too." And so Josh goes, "Let me give you my understanding of how I pictured like faith in Christ, like." Do it like you did. Well, I, the I, first I, I one. Said yeah. the, well, how I pictured it was, if I'm, if I'm God, yep. I have this gift that I want to give you, okay. and you have to take it. I reach out, yes. and I take yes. the gift. Yes. And I say, okay, all right. And then he goes, but what you're describing is... <laughs> and I had blinked right as he threw it, so I didn't even know he was throwing it. And I think you threw it harder <laughs> the first time. I think you threw it harder the first time. Oh, no, no, don't leave oh, yet. No, don't no. leave yet. So, and so we, we talked about this a little bit, and I said, yes, I, okay. Um, I go, let me give you a different picture. And again, all of these, you know, illustrations and stuff, they all have their shortcomings and stuff too. Um, but keeping in mind what we read about being dead in our sins, that we have, we have, uh, we have an inability to, to respond to God unless God on our own, unless God initiates it. And so I said, here, do this. I go, now we still have to believe. Okay, no. Okay, now I'm God. We'll do it. We'll switch around. So now I'm God. And so I said, it's like this. You're dead. And I have to now make you alive, right? And then I do this. And you, re- you receive it. And then I, I said this. That's what God does, right? This is what Peter's saying that God does. That he guards you. Like, God, like do you, are you receiving this? Yes. You know, I've made you alive. Now you're receiving it. And now God does this. That's the promise. That's the promise here. Round of applause for for Josh. (laughs) That is God's sustaining power. We sang, cling to Christ. Right? We sang those words, cling to Christ. And then in the bridge, it gets to the part. It goes, and actually, I couldn't. I couldn't cling to you. All my hope is that you cling to me. And that's what empowers my clinging to Christ is that he clings to me. I love that that little turn in that song. Friends, friends, let's when we think about our persevering in the faith, 
Let's remember this first part. Let's remember what Peter wants us to remember. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. He's caused you to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, and it's kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Amen. Let's, let's pray together. And then we are going to sing a song to close. Father God, we pray that you would take these, these verses and put them deep within our hearts. God, help us to cling to you by reminding us that you cling to us. That this wonderful work of salvation that you have done for us, that you will bring it to completion. Remind us of that. And may those truths empower our faithfulness to you in following after you. God, remind us that you will hold us fast. We pray this in Christ's mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's sing, He will hold me fast.
verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And let us say together, amen. amen. Brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go.
Short. Yeah. 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 Y